What is up, you guys? And welcome back to another episode of Illuminati, the podcast where we drink beer and talk about conspiracy theories. My name is John. And this is Jake. And this is part two of our Unabomber Ted Kaczynski thingy. Dos de las bombs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so if you have um, not listened to episode 13, the Unabomber part uno, Stop. Stop this episode now. Just turn it off. Go back to listen to that one. Go back. Then come back and listen to this one. Uh, so if you guys remember, as a quick recapper, last episode, we talked about Ted Kaczynski's early life. Then we talked about his time at Harvard. We talked about the MK Ultra stuff. And then we went all through his whole, not the whole manifesto. It's like 58 pages. But we talked, you know, more or less the high points, what he says, the meaning, and then kind of related it to current day. Talked a little bit about Wall Street bets, a little bit about Tasty. Facebook and shit and, you know, whatever. And we talked about beer. We did talk about beer. Yep. So this episode, we are going to continue that conversation by talking about the aftermath of the manifesto, what people said about it, who read it, what impact it had. And then we're going to talk about uh, the different bombs he set off, where they went off, the methods that he used for doing all his bomb stuff. We're going to talk about the victims of the bombings and everything that happened to them, all their manglings and killings and all of the gruesome details to that. Not as fun as it sounds. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> and then we are going to talk about um, the FBI stuff, how he got caught, and then uh, we're going to loop back around and have a little conversation about whether or not we think MKUltra played a role in Ted Kaczynski becoming the Unabomber. It's possible. Yes. We'll talk about it. So we will talk about that. Uh, but That was a great intro. Thank you. Good I job. am practicing on my intro stuff. As we keep saying, we're going to give you guys a looky-loo into what we're going to be talking about <laughs> instead of just jumping straight into beer time. You're going to have a job in this industry <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. But um, all right. So before we get into Ted Kaczynski part two, let us talk about beer stuff. So Jake, I see you got a really nice looking can. I got a little smeller do of that beer. A drinky do, a little drinky do, a little tasty tipper. We are we are back in Asheville with our uh, friends from Dissolver, uh, who we've talked about a couple of their beers at this point. Uh, some of their individual be beers and a collaboration they did with Burial. That's right. Uh, yeah, and we've been positive on all their stuff. I believe Dissolver's lit. Like I want to say, I said this in a previous episode we talked about it, but the head brewer came over from another brewery. Yeah, and we didn't remember which it was then. I don't remember I now either. Now. <laughs> I, th I think it's Wicked Weed, maybe. It could be, yeah. I don't know. Or maybe it was Burial. I don't know, because Dissolver has this very like Burial-esque kind of they do. logo going on. But then their artwork is always real goofy. Like It's awesome. So like yeah. this can... Uh, well, goofy so, in a good way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I am drinking a... Uh, and it's great the way they set it up. It says Dissolver Presents at the top. Like it's a movie poster. And it's called Fill Thy Cake Hole, German Chocolate Cake Stout. And the the uh, artwork on the can is is Renaissance art. Uh, somebody took a poster of uh, one of those goofy dudes wearing uh, pantalone tight sort of things, and they edited out his uh, lira, uh, little stringed instrument, and replaced it with a gigantic piece of chocolate cake. My God. And you know what this just made me think of? 
Oh, it's hard to tell, man. Robin Hood? I don't know. <laughs> no, this is the perfect beer to be drinking, to be talking about Ted Kaczynski's manifesto. <laughs> because of the cake? Yes. Fill thy cake? Yeah. Do you, oh. do you know why? No, you don't I know don't. this one? No, fill me okay. in. Okay. And all right. So I I do not, this is unverified. Okay. There is no blue bubble next to this statement that I'm about to make. But and we're going to get to this when we talk about the FBI stuff maybe a little bit. But my understanding is that the FBI behavioral analysis unit basically used Ted Kaczynski's writing to develop their whole linguistic forensics thing. Okay. And one of the the details from the manifesto that they like latched onto as a way to start developing this was the fact that I'm going to say a saying and I want you to tell me if that saying is correct or incorrect. Okay. Have your cake and eat it too. Is that the right way to say that statement or not? I'm going to say not because you're very cocky on the presentation. <laughs> okay. So 99% of the people are going to say that that's it. Right. That's actually not it. No. No. What it's is it? the other way around. Okay. It's eat your cake and have it too. Really? Yes. The okay. original statement from like, the 1500s or whenever that statement okay. came from was have your cake and eat it too, not eat your cake and have it too. Wait, it was eat your cake and have it too, not have your cake and eat it too. Correct. Right. Okay. Yes. Have your cake and eat it too is what people think it is. It got flip-flopped in like the 1800s. It sounds better the wrong way. Right. Yeah. But it's actually eat your cake and have it too is the original way to say it. And Ted Kaczynski wrote it the right way oh. in the manifesto. And he continued to write it the right way throughout all of his letters and throughout highly his intelligent. historical letters that yeah. the brother surrenders yeah. to the FBI. Which makes sense because he's highly intelligent and he isn't very socialized. So he right. wouldn't be around a bunch of plebes like us saying, have your key can eat it too. Yeah, it would make him feel bad about right. saying it. No, he's just going to read right it way. the way it was written in right. like exactly. ancient Aramaic. Yeah, <laughs> and be like, well, Jesus technically said, "Eat your cake and haveth its of upon thy too." Sure. Yeah. Did you learn about this in the fancy documentary you watch? Sure did. Excellent. There's a really great. I'm glad some of us. I'm glad one of us did research. I know. I I had to question myself too because like so I don't 100 percent know that that's true. I am going off of. I'm all in on it though. I'm going to tell people it's true when I leave here. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm making that, and I unverified that, which I just put this together just now sitting here, right? So it's not like I'm going to stop and Google and double check, but sure. I would love for somebody out there in internet land to double check me. Let me know if this is right or not, because this came directly from the dramatic reenactment of Ted Kaczynski's stuff from Netflix, cool. Manhunt Unabom, which is the, the first. The in, Manhunt TV show? I haven't watched the show. Should yeah. I watch this? Is it good? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I found on my list. the production value of Manhunt Deadly Game, the one about Eric Rudolph, to be much better hmm. than uh, Manhunt Unibom. Okay. Uh, but Manhunt Unibom has like Sam Worthington and some other good people in nice. it. Um, Manhunt uh, Deadly Game has some other really good famous people in it, and I can't remember the actor's name right now who I love, but he plays... Uh, God... The guy who gets wrongfully accused for the uh, for the Centennial Park bombing, Kenny Loggins. No, <laughs> no, no. It's um, I know I'm you're talking about the security guard. Yeah, I can picture him in my head. Yeah, yeah. Richard 
something. Something, yeah. I Not can't remember his name right now. Yeah. Um, the actor who plays him. Yeah. He played uh, one of the hitmen in uh, from Umbrella Academy, which I read. Um, the in Swedish the Umbrella dudes? Academy show, no, not the not the um, not the Dallas series from the oh. from the second one from the hotel uh, from the first one. Sorry. Yeah, I'm blanking. It's been a long time. Yeah, the the series in the show does not go in the same series as right. the series in the books. Right, right, right. The the two hit people, not the Swedish guys. Don't show up until oh, after. Oh, you're talking about the the ones that wear the masks on their heads. Yeah. Uh, Coco and Ramirez or like whatever their names were. Yeah. 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 I, I'm blanking on their names right now. Too. Yeah. God, that was a good show. It was. It was a better and, book. It was a better yeah, book. Yeah. Yeah. The graphic novels are sick. And, and like, I don't know. My chemical Romance? Like what the what? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Cemetery Gates. Yeah. Right. Gerard Way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the artist from it is sick. So if you've never read the books, go read those. Yeah, I mean, They're absolutely. Awesome. Like. Don't um, listen to this. Just they do read. not follow the show at all. So like the Swedish dudes, they're not in the books. No, they're not. No. Um, but the the two other hit people who wear the masks, who of course I'm blanking on their names right now, even yeah. though the books are literally directly above me <laughs> right now. <laughs> you have tall ceilings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're in my garage, which is under my office. Right. And that's where the books are. So, um, but yeah, the actor who plays one of them, the guy. he's great. And yeah. he plays, he's also in the second one too. He shows up in the first episode. Yep. As an yeah. old version of himself. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Anyway, so that can just made me think of that saying. Ted Kaczynski and he uses cake. the same. Yeah. Yeah. They did. Well, they ate lots of donuts. Donuts. That's what they're eating. Yeah. Donuts. Yeah. Which is funny because the other beer of this I was going to grab was an Orpheus donut stout. Okay. Uh, and I went with this one because I liked the artwork of the Renaissance guys holding the cans. And uh, I literally just posted an Instagram story with the uh, this can on it uh, a few minutes ago. But I'll, okay. I'll take a picture and I'll repost it when we get closer to the release date of this. Okay. So anyways, this, uh, this fill thy cake hole uh, German chocolate stout, you have to say it loudly, is a 8.2%. It's, it's definitely a heavy stout. It's very thick. And it is filled with macaroon coconut, toasted coconut, cocoa nibs and husks, vanilla and vanilla cake. There's just like straight up cake in this. And you can tell. I mean, it literally tastes like a chunk of German chocolate cake. Like you, it would, I mean, you could tell them apart if you had one in your hand and a beer in the other hand, but like sure, it smells and tastes very similar to a German chocolate cake stout and Dissolver really nailed it with this. I would not be able to drink two of these because it's so rich. But like if my wife was going to have a bowl of ice cream, I would have this on my own and enjoy it just as much as the bowl of ice cream. I could agree with that. Yeah. Jake gave me like a little sip out of the bottom of the can and I was, it, it came with like a very slightly boozy front nose end because it is 8.2, which to me is not yeah. super high for a stout. Uh, but it's still on the higher end. Yeah. But as soon as that booziness goes away, which is almost instantly, yeah, you just took a bite out of a piece of German chocolate. I'm cake. very happy they didn't like bourbon barrel this or anything. Yeah. That would have ruined it. Yeah. Like, it's perfect the way it is. I yeah. really love it. Yeah. So yeah, good uh, good job, Dissolver guys out in Nashville. We love you. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll be drinking more of your stuff and talking about it. Yeah. I told Jake to get me one if he sees it again yeah. to get me one. I feel like I would probably struggle through that whole beer because, I mean, 16 ounces It's of probably that. 800 calories. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. That's five Big Macs. Yeah. Actually, it's probably like half a Big Mac, but you yeah. Know, 
But yeah. What uh what do you got over there? It looks slightly different than Slight. your last beer you struggled through, which had the powdered puke at the bottom. It did. This is different. So we are back in Asheville again, just like oh, Jake is, excellent. but different brewery. Uh today I am at Wicked Weed with their cherry key lime burst session sour. And this is the first beer on this show that I have done that has been a 12 ounce can. That's true, actually. So this yeah. is a normal sized beer. Yeah. Um, I only got the one because I'm never so, I'm not, I'm never sure with these whether they're going to be good or not. It's hard to tell. And I got this at Harris Teeter. I was like walking around looking for some more sycamore. Which they just had a single. Can I of do that at Harris Teeter. Yeah. Um. So Harris Teeter will sometimes in the middle. So it's like you go in and there'll be the whole beer aisle. And it's like yeah. on the right side they have the wine. On the left side they have all the beer. But it's like down the middle they have all like the single bottles. of Oh, and you do like a make a six pack thing. Yeah. They have like oh, a little make okay. a six pack section. And I saw this in a six pack, but I didn't want to get a six pack or a 12 pack of it or whatever sure. it was. Um, Cause I just wasn't sure if I was going to like it or not, but they had individual cans. So I grabbed one, two bucks or whatever. Nice. You know, no big deal. I didn't know you could just grab those as individuals. Yeah. I just picked up the one beer, threw it in my I had cart. No idea. I bought the one this whole time. I've been buying the six packs. <laughs> <of that stuff. laughs> yeah. You don't have to <laughs> funny, funny story about that whole thing. <laughs> So they have those bottles and it's like if you get a six pack, it's ten ninety nine. So one of the bottles they had there was the Dragon's Milk Bourbon Barrel Stout, which is usually yeah, 15, like, 15 or sixteen ninety nine for a four pack. Yeah. But they had the bottles there and you can get a six pack for ten ninety nine. So oh, I just dang. threw six of them in one of those things and took it up and they rang it up as ten ninety nine. Dang. I mean, I could have taken this stuff out on the street corner and resold it. Oh, dang. Made some money, but I just drank it. You fucked up. It fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> As one does when they drink that much dragon's milk stout. But yeah, so getting back to this one. So, I mean, it is a session sour. So, you know, 4.5% ABV, very lightweight. The can, you know, normal 12 ounce can, but it's got like a kind of maroon color on it with these cartoon cherries and cartoon limes. And they look like lemons too, but they do. They're not from here. Yeah, yeah. And it has the Wicked Weed logo on it. it. Says cherry and red, key lime and yellow, and then burst in blue. And does it say anything about? Is it from the Funkatorium? Does it say anything? Um, no. It just says ale with cherry, key lime, and colored with beet extract, brewed and canned by Wicked Weed in Asheville. So this does not say that huh. it is from the Funkatorium, which I assume it's not. Just based I thought on they did all how the sour it is. Oh, okay. I thought they did all the sours at the Funkatorium. I don't know. I feel like the Funkatorium branded sours are the ones that are like... Those are the ones in the bottle that you pay a lot of money for. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, they're going to fuck you up. They're yeah. so sour. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're the ones that like go full, mm-hmm. you know, bore. I ran out of glasses, so I have it in a mason <laughs> jar. And it basically looks like... Beet juice? Um, I was actually going to say it looks like... Fizzy cranberry juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, if you dumped cranberry juice in a soda water. Like yeah, kind of I was like actually say it looks like a vodka cranberry soda. Yeah, kind of deal. Which isn't a bad drink. Yeah, not at all. And um, it tastes like uh, a cherry limeade. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. It's I mean, pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's very straightforward. It's ex- like this is the kind of thing where it's like when I get to this summer and I'm at the pool, 
I hope I remember that this <laughs> beer tastes like cherry limeade and I just get a six pack of them to throw in the cooler. Okay. You know, and that I can sit by the pool and drink these because they're super drinkable. Yeah, I mean, just like really easy to drink. It's sour, but it's yeah. not super sour. It's not sweet like a Berliner, but it's not not sweet like right. the sours I don't like. It does have a lot of carbonation to it, which I like in a sour. Okay. I don't like the ones that are like flat and punching you in the nuts with sourness. Yeah. I like the, like yeah, yeah, the, yeah. um, like, uh, part of what I did like about the tricycle prints was that it had a carbonation to it. Right. It wasn't it flat. Did. Yeah, yeah. But the other sours that I have that are like basically totally flat, I instantly don't like. But I do like this. I like how bubbly it is. I like that it's slightly sour, slightly sweet, a little more on the sour yeah. side. You definitely get the lime. You definitely get the cherry. I mean, it's basically everything it says it is. Yeah. It's a cherry. And that's and isn't that what America's all about? Cherry key lime burst session sour. It's all five of those things. <laughs> it's just it's you want to get what you want in a can. You don't want like weird, weird like tea from another room or like some sort of like bullshit lager that doesn't make sense or like a coffee scream and a cream ale. Like <laughs> this is a slice of chocolate cake shoved into a glass. With alcohol, in with it. alcohol, with and booze. that's what this is. It's and a it piece tastes of exactly like chocolate cake. Yeah, and that's what I want. You know, that's yeah. what I'm looking for. With a little bit of that, uh, you know, toasted coconut. Yeah, it's like it's coconut. like the Jack Daniel's cake, chocolate cake. Have you ever had that? No, uh, it's fucking amazing. You have to find some. It's like it's like a piece of very fudgy cake, and it has a whiskey taste to it. It's delicious. Okay, it it's kind of like if this was bourbon barrel aged. You know, okay, very much like that. So, and you have it's exactly what the label says. Yeah, I that's mean, all we want. They are not burying the lead here. <laughs> that's when all it we want. Says key lime che- cherry key lime burst session sour. That is exactly what yeah. you are getting. You know, like remember the other night you were texting me and I was like, I'm really, I'm really sad. I'm just drinking a a white claw on my, on my sofa. Did was, you say that to yeah. me? Did I not say anything? I don't back? think you ever responded. I think you were already asleep. <laughs> oh my but God. I was drinking a ruby grapefruit. I feel so bad now. I, was <laughs> I would have laughed really hard if I had actually signed that and it like registered in my brain. It was a 24 ounce uh, uh, ruby grapefruit white claw. Oof. And that's exactly what it was. It was just a grapefruit seltzer. That it I was poured. exactly what you like. It was. Ex- I, yeah, I like grapefruit seltzer. That's all I want. And you know, and, and I didn't want to drink a bunch of beer, and okay. I just wanted, I just wanted a little bit of seltzer. And that's what it was. It was just it's exactly what it was. So yeah. it, it, it was hit great. It. Yeah, right. this is a cake in a glass. You've got your your key lime, cranberry going on. <laughs> cherry, <laughs> cherry limeade, <laughs> cherry limeade, boozy cherry limeade. That's I all mean, we want. I, f- I feel like if I went to Sonic and got a cherry limeade and put some uh, vodka in it, that's what you would have. Yeah, I'd st- like. I mean, this, of course, doesn't taste like it has vodka in it, but right. I mean, it probably wouldn't be too far off. Would you drink that over crushed ice? Oh, yeah. 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 That's I drank the I drank the uh, the White Claw, the Ruby Grapefruit White Claw over crushed ice. Was it good? It was exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Oh, okay. Was, nice. Yeah. yeah. Sick. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I was kind of sad because it wasn't a piece of chocolate cake in a glass. Sure. But it was, you know, it was refreshing. I'll revisit it in the summer. Yeah. Know? We haven't had sunlight in three weeks, so it's... Yeah. it's Once my backyard's all set up and we can get the kiddie pools out again. Yeah. You know. Do you even have grass anymore? Is it just mud back there? What's going on? No, it's still grassy back okay. there. Well, I mean, half of my backyard is 
concrete patio now. So, oh, my entire backyard is a mud pit, like a is clay, it? like Georgia clay mud pit. The dogs go out there and they come back and they're just bright orange. Yeah. I mean, we have two like tracks running through the backyard, though, where we've, you know, continually been backing pickup trucks into my backyard. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. Is what it is. No big deal. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for the beer. Let's move on to the to the bombs. Unabomb pod. <laughs> All right. Did I ask you the last one? Did I ask you what Unabomber stands for? Or was that off camera? Yes. University Airline Bomber. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I remember not knowing when you asked me that, even though I watched this entire Netflix series about it and have read about him. And then as soon as you asked me the question, I'm like, you just blanked. I'm a dumbass. <laughs> no. Yeah, I couldn't remember. But now I, I had, do remember. I had someone straight up ask me. They were saying, um, why is he such a big deal if he only bombed one thing? Thinking Una Bomber, like Uno, the card game. You know, Una Bomber, like yeah. the Una Cycler, the right. Una Bomber. <laughs> right. It's just one. No. Just one. The. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not Uno. They were done. Not Una. All right. So we went over the manifesto. We did. And looked at how there's a lot of kind of interesting ideas in there, interesting thoughts. We didn't talk about the cake, but. No, we didn't, which I wish we did. Yeah. But we I'm didn't just, talk about the spelling stuff either, which no. I don't know that we're really going to get too much into the linguistic forensics and the spelling and the formatting and all the stuff that it's he did kind with of it. a, it's kind of a deep true crime topic that they dive into. Yeah. Um, Do true crimers dive into that topic a lot? I don't know about that specific topic, but that's the kind of stuff they dive into. Okay. Um, which well, I mean, we could do if people really well, wanted us to. If you guys want us to do a bonus episode, which we are in the process of developing some bonus content for you guys, if you'd be interested in a bonus episode where we take a little bit of more of a true crime dive into the Unabomber to talk about this linguistic yeah. forensics thing, let us know that and we will make you a Berluminati bonus episode, <laughs> Unabomber, we linguistic like forensics bonus. We could do like a like OnlyFans style. We'll like sit around Only in our boxers and just like talk about true crime. No? Yeah. All right. I, I mean, mean, if they're paying for it. like Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, I mean, I feel like Patreon basically <laughs> is the OnlyFans of like podcasting. It kind of is. <laughs> I just, we just watched the, the OnlyFans documentary that's on Hulu or Netflix or whatever. Yeah, right you now. told me to watch that, but I don't have Hulu. Oh, I'll figure out how to get it to you. Okay. All right. So, anyways, once the uh, once the manifesto went public, Ted's brother David pretty much instantly was like, "Come on, guys, we we, <laughs> <laughs> we know who this is. I know exactly who this is, and I would like to introduce you to his tiny cabin in the woods." Which also, uh, Ted Kinsinski was a little innovative on the tiny house movement. Oh yeah, yeah, he did it himself because it was very little. It was very little. Uh, as the uh, the uh, uh, census person said, it was a it was like ten by ten or something. Yeah, small place, lots of books. It's smaller than my patio. That's crazy. Well, that's why we live in North Carolina, so we can have larger houses. Yeah, and bigger <laughs> patios. <laughs> <laughs> so after his brother ratted him out to the FBI, I mean, rightfully so. I mean, if you know your brother's a bomber, talk to the FBI. Right. Um, at least talk to the FBI, if not a local sheriff or something. And so Ted Kaczynski was arrested and he immediately wanted to turn. Well, they arrested him at the cabin. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, again, you can go online and the, the Smithsonian has his cabin like with 10 million photographs and you could zoom in on every little spot of it. It's actually kind of a cool little thing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So just Google Kaczynski's Smithsonian cabinet something. Cabinet. Cabin. <laughs> cabinet. <laughs> and just dive into that. Yeah. And then you can see all of his like door poles and his special handles and his silverware and all that stuff in his cabinet. Oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, so w- once he was arrested, he decided that he wanted to use this trial to uh, disseminate all of his views. And so he had asked to represent himself. And so he was like, I will be my own attorney. And while I do this, I will tell you about my glorious manifesto where I will get people to overthrow the government through my magical smart person words. Um, Too bad they didn't do it during his trial. Yeah. I mean, he probably didn't use the term smart person words. He probably had his own. <laughs> he probably had his own smart person jingo. For smart that. person. Yeah. Django. Yeah. So uh, instead, his uh, court appointed lawyer said, uh, dumb. And don't <laughs> dumb. do that. <laughs> and, and you's are going to go to jail. And uh, and then the judge basically said, no, you can't represent yourself, which I didn't know they could do. I guess they can't. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know. I yeah. didn't know they could do that either. Yeah, so uh, I feel like there's been like some like courtroom law movie that I've seen where somebody's been like, I'm going to represent myself. And yeah. they're like, you sure you want to do that? Sure do. <laughs> and then like 10 minutes later, they've lost. And I'm just like, I mean, okay. How many times <laughs> is the judge just like, I'm going to let this play out. <laughs> you know, there's some like there's some like court judge in like Poughkeepsie. And they're just like, I'm going to see how this plays out. I feel out. like a saucy judge today. Right, exactly. I like, want to see where this goes. And then oh, like five minutes later, the guy's like, your honor, the book to my left clearly states aliens were coming. And like, and the judge <laughs> is just like, all right, that's it. Let's we're uh, done here. We're, yeah, we are done here. <laughs> so, uh, so what happened was his uh, Kaczynski's lawyers decided that they were going to go ahead and shoot for an insanity plea which would discredit his entire manifesto. Right. And he uh, wouldn't be able to uh, appeal or anything. Right. Essentially, if they yeah. did that as well. Yeah. And then if they spent the entire trial saying he's a crazy cuckoo head, right. basically his manifesto is just written off as crazy cuckoo manifesto. And he went to all the trouble of bombing, bombing people. places to get yeah. people to read this thing. I right. mean, all the way up the ladder to where like freaking Janet Reno had to make the call whether or not to publish this, you know? Which, if you don't know, she was a very important person in the United States government. I can't remember now. Not the head of the FBI. She DOJ, was, yeah. yeah, she was the yeah, head of the DOJ. Clinton. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I like, I was like, I know she's important, but I don't <laughs> remember how she's important she's. She was uh, most notorious for uh, okaying the Elian Gonzalez raid in Miami. Okay. You know, the little kid that came over from Cuba. And she basically enacted the raid where they grabbed the kid and took him back to Cuba. The, yeah, the famous picture where you see the guy, the fat dude in the flat yep. jacket bust in and the kid's yep. screaming. The kid's in the, the closet screaming. At the top of the yeah. yeah. She, well, she was also involved with uh, Eric Rudolph. Lots of them. Who, who yeah. was the um, Centennial Olympic Park bomber as well as he bombed a bunch of other shit in Alabama and oh, okay, Georgia yeah. and whatever. Because, um, yeah, he bombed that and then he tried to you know, play him. So he went to hide in Nanahala and then tried to play himself off to the people 
around Nanahala, specifically the community up there in Murphy and the North Carolina, I don't know if you know this, has an anti-government militia. I'm not surprised. That lives in Murphy. Okay. And he tried to play himself off to them as being this like... uh, Oh, like protect me? Yeah, well, he wanted he wanted the militia people to help him, and the way that he did that was to play himself off as this like God fearing, hates the gays, you know, hates abortion, save the babies right. kind of so person. He was trying to fit in with them. Yeah. yeah. So after he did the Olympic Park bombing, he barbed a gay bar, a gay club, uh, an abortion clinic, and oh, wow. somewhere else. But that. his targets weren't those weren't the clinics or anything. It was the law enforcement. Oh, okay. He committed the very first L-shaped ambush on American soil. What does that mean, L-shaped ambush? I don't know what that is. Uh, basically, what it is is where you use multiple bombs to set a trap for okay. someone. So, for an example, um, he bombed like a gay bar or something. I can't remember what it was. And one, an abortion clinic or something. Okay. He The bomb that he put in or at the clinic was... Fairly small. Okay. Right? It went off. Exactly 35 minutes later, a second bomb went off that was a focus blast bomb. Oh. So it was targeted in a particular direction. In the same location? Yep. Pointed out into the parking lot. Oh. Which okay. is exactly where all the police the and the ambulances and firefighters wow. and everything were going to be. Dick. But there was a car parked in front of the second bomb. So the bomb blast hit a car. Good for the car. and I mean, bad for the car, but good for the other people. (laughs) Right. So the bomb blast hit the car instead of going out in the parking lot and killing all the law enforcement. Well, that's lucky. If he'd succeeded, it would have been the the number one largest uh, law enforcement casualty event. Because it was probably history with like ball bearings and nails and shit or something. Yeah. 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 Basically. Yeah. It was was a timed bomb and it was just packed with like 10 penny nails and shit. Oh, brutal. That's horrible. Yeah. Was it Eric Rudolph? You said this? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I didn't know he did that. That's crazy. Yeah. He's a fucking crazy anti-government psycho. Yeah. And was he doing that to like get in cahoots with like the anti-government dudes that he was seeking like hiding with or was that just another thing he was doing? No. So he wasn't in cahoots with the anti-government militia. Oh. He was using them. Oh, okay. As like blockers. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, he tried to con them. Wow, that's crazy. Sorry, we are getting off topic no, on it's, him. It's, Eric Rudolph's a crazy dude. If you have... We should do it. Like, yeah, let's. I'd, I'd like to look into that guy. All right, that's well, I mean, if you guys want to hear about an Eric Rudolph episode, let us know. We'll happily yeah. talk about him too. He's fucking crazy. Yeah, hit us up on the Instagram. I, I'd love to look into that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, anyways, back on track. Like, uh, so the judge told him, like, F off, go to jail. And he accepted a, um, a plea bargain for life imprisonment without parole. So, I don't know. Well... The reason he wanted to defend himself is so he could get up and orate about his manifesto. Right. And so basically everybody said no, because obviously that was his whole goal. Right. And they offered him a plea plea bargain for life imprisonment. Uh, I'm not 100% certain, but I think if he would have not taken the plea bargain, he probably would have gotten the chair, you know, or lethal injection or whatever it was in that state. Sure. While the manifesto was widely spread via newspaper, book reprints, and the internet, and now um, you can you can like pay for his manifesto on Amazon Prime or something. I don't recommend and get it on your Kindle. 
Yeah, exactly. I don't recommend doing that. You can go to the internet archive. It's like archive.org or something. Uh Uh-huh. And you can just download it. Same thing where like if you're if you ever have interest and you want to read something like the Turner Diaries, which is like a really horrible uh, racist book that was written by a horrible person. Um, but there is some value in reading it because it's interesting to see what these kind of people say. So you can you can see that side of things. Um, don't pay for these things. Go to the Internet Archive and usually they're there. Like the Turner Diaries there. Kaczynski's manifesto is there. A lot of that stuff is there along with all these other things like Mein Kampf, like all these books that sure. don't be giving money to people who try to reproduce this stuff because they're pieces of shit. Right. So just go download it for free. Right. Anyways, that being said, it was widely spread all over the place. And most people, like, it kind of got a little bit of attention at the time, but it wasn't really taken seriously. So... People who followed the manifesto closely uh, and ultimately Kaczynski's ideas, they saw that it wasn't taking any serious consideration. So the drama was all centered around getting it to be printed, um, which was you know why he was doing his bombing spree and he talked Janarino into doing it. And once it was printed, it kind of just died off. That's what the drama was. Was like, oh my god, this thing actually got printed. And then, you know, per usual with Americans, we read the headline and that was it because the thing was 35,000 words. You know, it's, yeah. really, it's like 50 pages. So yeah. like, nobody's going to sit and read that. Outside of like eco-anarchists and academics, the public didn't really read it at all. By the, by the time the trial started in 97, public sentiment had completely shifted away. There was some people who originally when it was printed were saying he had some good ideas, but the media kind of tramped that down a little bit and like people were like, yeah, cause he blew stuff up. And, um, right. and by the time the trial started, everybody was pretty much negative on it. And the yeah. people who did read it were even kind of shying away from it. Yeah. I mean, it's the exact same thing that we debated on last time. Right. It's like, we come back and reflect on the stuff that he said. And I mean, was he right? Is there some good points that he makes? Sure. But we have to keep in the back of our minds. This dude is crazy. And he right. bombed places. Yeah, exactly. And so the um, the prosecution's psychiatrist cited the manifesto as evidence of the Unabomber's lucidity, saying that this is like an academic text and he's definitely not crazy, you know? Yeah. But then the defense turned around and cited the manifesto as evidence of the Unabomber's craziness. <laughs> they both literally presented the same argument. One person saying, like, look how smart and intelligent he is, and the other person saying, this is effing nuts. Right. And both uh, were true. Yeah, exactly. Really? Both are true. And the and the judge kind of took it that way. Like the judge was kind of like, there's good and bad points here, and he's crazy and not crazy. And right. some people, humans are complex organisms, and this happens. You, know? you mean we're not amoebas? Right, exactly. <laughs> and of as of two thousand, the manifesto remained on college reading lists and it actually still is up to twenty twenty. It's um it appears on some college reading lists and uh green anarchists who are um kind of a movement of like PETA style anarchists and eco extremists, people like Elf and Alf uh movements, they all hold his writings in really high regard because there's a lot in there about like returning to nature and not abusing animals and doing these different things. Um, but one of the funny things is they ignore a lot of the stuff is that Kaczynski is pretty critical about like left-leaning individuals. Yeah. And they just kind of gloss over that and latch onto the little parts that he supports their personal 
ideals, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, they're picking and choosing the parts of it that they like and being like, 100%. this is proof, you know? Right. But, you know, they're not looking at the work as a whole and reflecting on the fact that he's criticizing them just as much as he's criticizing the other side. And yeah, 100%. you know, I want to say yeah. you sent me a number of excerpts from, oh, yeah, the, yeah. Um, from the manifesto as we were doing the research for this episode. And I have not read the manifesto in its entirety, even though we do have a copy of it in our podcast <laughs> in drive, drive yeah. and I am going to read it, but I haven't. But like, I would just recall like a number of the excerpts that you sent me, me reading them and being like, Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and with all this conversation going on right now about, you know, woke lords and like right. Tom McDonald just dropped that rap song I was telling you about fake woke oh, yeah. and like all this stuff like that is going on. There's just, there's a bunch of stuff that he says in there that alludes directly to that kind of stuff happening in society eventually, you know, and that the only people who, you know, are really fighting on the side of, the woke as we call them now are these like, you know, rich liberal college professors and stuff, yeah. you know, people who don't actually have an investment or actually give a shit about, right. You know what they're talking about or whatever. But any, anyway, sorry to get off on the, no, no, it's a bizarre time and it's really weird right now, you know, with all that stuff now you know, is weird. It's very weird. Cause it's like, Social media is kind of and has become kind of a public space because we're all locked in our houses 24-7. Yeah. And so it's kind of where we spend our time. And I don't know if you feel like this, but like Valentine's Day just went by. And, you know, yeah. typically there's this kind of feeling where it's, oh, it's Valentine's Day. I'm going to pay tribute to my loved one. Sure. And, you know, I did this post where I put together like a bunch of photos of our history. It was so cute. Thanks. Yeah. And so I put a lot <laughs> of thought into it. And like, for some reason this year, it meant more? personally to me and to her like a thousand times more. Like, like last year, it was a completely throwaway thing. But this year, it was like profound. Yeah. And I didn't put a lot more effort into it than I did last year. I had feeling there and I put the same amount of feeling into it that I feel about my life, my wife, which is, which is a lot. Yeah. And, but there was this like air of profundity there that was different than before. Yeah. No, I, I definitely picked up on, and just so y'all know, we have not talked about this before now, this second, Jake and I have not talked about Valentine's day, but yeah, I mean, I totally agree. So like normally what my wife and I do for Valentine's day, we just don't make a big deal out of it. Yeah. We go out to dinner we have a nice time together and and that's basically it. Like we don't make it a huge thing, but we always do like super ethnic food. We like Ethiopian, oh, Indian, cool. Himalayan. We do stuff like that. Something like, cool, you know, off the cuff, off the beaten path or whatever. But we don't do like tons of flowers and candy and yeah. this. We don't, you know, make it this whole huge thing. And, you know, we didn't do that again this year, but for some reason it was just different. There was just this thing about this year's Valentine's Day where it felt like important Mm -hmm. for some reason or whatever. And my wife made a comment to me like, so when we do give each other gifts, it's usually stuff we can use. You know, we're, you know, like my wife doesn't like to get flowers. Yeah. I mean, like she does. She's a girl. She likes flowers. Yeah. Uh, my wife likes stuff that she can use more. She likes yeah, like, my plants wife, she wants way. or she likes to getting pots and stuff like that. And like I'm the same way. Like she got me beer. 
Nice. You know, or whatever, which is like really nice. And I don't normal. I'm not a big card person. She's a big card giver. She didn't give me a card, but I gave her a card. Nice. Which like just made it seem, you know, she was more just like, yeah. yeah, I was like, I don't know why this just seemed more important this year. So I'm going to give, I gave her a card. Yeah. Um, And like, we've just been trying to find these more like at home things that are not like these big flourishing embellishment type yeah. situations, but that are just like fun stuff to do together. So um, I'll give everybody out there in internet land a pro tip <laughs> if you would like a pro tip. So my wife um, <clears throat> and I uh, did a fun thing over the holidays, which we thought was really cool that uh, Trader Joe's did. And I replicated it for this Valentine's Day on my own. And um, basically around the holidays, Trader Joe's sells this thing. It's like a caramels tasting kit thing. And it's like a game where the kit comes with like 12 different flavored you know, I've never seen this confectionery before. chocolate caramels or whatever. And it says on the side what the 12 chocolates, the flavors are, but it doesn't tell you which one is which. Cool. And the game is you have to try them and then together write it down or guess what the flavor is. And at the very end, there's a key that tells you which cool. flavor was which. Um, and so we basically did it where we did one a day for 12 days. And we oh, had a fun. little sheet like where a, we wrote our, like a what? Calendar. Yeah, oh, like an advent calendar. Advent calendar. Yeah, sort of similar, yeah. Cool. So we had little pieces of paper and we would write on it, you know, number one, what we thought the flavor was and then we'd tell each and then we'd like write them down in secret and then we'd be like, I thought it was this. And she'd be like, I thought it was this. It was like our beer experiment. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then at the very end, we went back and like saw whether how many of them we had right and how many of them had wrong. Um, And so I did a similar thing this year but different. So there's a chocolate place here in Raleigh called Escazu, which oh, yeah. uh, is very similar to Vidiri, which uh, Jake has talked about. And um, what Escazu did for their Valentine's Day was a curated uh, box of chocolates where basically you went on their site, you told them generally what you didn't want, right? You couldn't tell them what you do want. You just could tell them what you didn't want. So like I said, no spicy, no gluten. And then they build cool. out the box. That's and awesome. you basically get a box of chocolates that you have no idea what the oh. flavors are. So there's no key. Oh, like so I don't just, know what the flavors it's are. It's up to Complete interpretation. Mystery. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we, I basically set them all out on a big piece of paper, numbered them all, took a picture of them, and that's what we're using as our key. And so uh, we have okay. a piece of paper again, and we're filling them out. Uh, but what Escazu does is they have a uh, a key on their website with a oh, picture okay. of the chocolate. So at the very end, we're going to sit down together with a computer and Go look at it. their thing and see how cool. close we each were against the key they have on the little, little things like that. Yeah. I mean, the older that I get, it's not about doing these big embellishments. It's about finding creative ways to do stuff that's fun and personalized. You know what I mean? Like that was not expensive and it took a very low amount of effort, but my wife loves it and it's fun. So see, I just bought my wife an Audi. (laughs) I'm I'm kidding. She bought herself the Audi. Um, (laughs) I bought myself a 25 year old Miata. Oh my God. Um, all right. Anyway, so back to um, <laughs> back, back to back old, to the land of people blowing shit up and killing <laughs> right, and exactly. murdering people. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a great tip though. That's that's good. That's a fun little tip. Uh, I'll add on to it. Pro tip for any holiday, anything: draw your own cards. Even if you are garbage and have no artistic skills, computer paper and some 
draw your own cards. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Crayons. Like, pens, I have a bit of an advantage. I, I have a bit of an advantage because I I am artistic. I've taken like portrait painting lessons and classes, and I've like I went you, to art school for a while. Book. Yeah, I mean, I can I can do a portrait. But like, what I did for Valentine's Day card was I took a a piece of nice kind of like uh, uh, stock paper, like some cardstock paper, yeah, some cardstock. Yeah, folded it in half, drew some hearts on it. Got my nice. daughter over there, had her draw some hearts on it. Nice. We opened it up. I wrote a really nice little note in there and then had her draw all over it, just straight up like mash fist drawing <laughs> circles and stuff on it. Nice. And then wrote a little note on the back, handed it over, and it was it was a big win. You know? Nice. Took 90 seconds. Killer. Yeah. And she's going to hear this and be like mad about it, but it, it, you know, it's still good. No, I bought mine at the store. At the it was good at the time. All right. So back to blowing people up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna work on transitions on this podcast. But, yeah, uh, stick with us. Yeah, oh, so, well, it'll be I. So, anyways, back in 1995, Alston Chase, who's a uh, reporter for the Atlantic, uh, this dude had like a lifelong communication with Kaczynski. I mean, not before he was blowing shit up, but like yeah. afterwards. We've talked to this dude about this dude a little bit. Already. Yeah, yeah. We, we okay. We're back. We to haven't the... talked to him, but we've previously met. Oh, okay. Him. Yeah. So back to this dude. So he wrote in 1995 that many thoughtful people saw industrial society in its future, AKA the Unabomber's manifesto as a work of genius, or at least profound and quite sane chase argued, however, that it is quote unquote, the work of neither a genius nor a maniac. It's pessimism over the direction of civilization and its rejection of the modern world are shared, especially with the country's most highly educated. So what he was saying was Kaczynski's smart. He's like this highly intelligent guy. He's academic. He's basically like this professor level dude. Yeah. And professor level people like high level academics have this kind of not disdain, but they have pessimism about the future of the, of the world. Yeah. They tend to look at things through shit colored glasses instead of rosy colored glasses. Sure. Because they see the worst of the worst coming down the road. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever want like negative opinions about the future, the closest place to go is university. Like it's, you know, it's people talking about climate change, you know, all these big realities of stuff we're going to have to face, but you don't see a lot of people talking about like, oh yeah, we're all going to have new kinds of rye bread. Like they don't care. Like it's, they're right. talking about problems, you know? Right. So anyways, the manifesto mentions UCLA political science professor, James Q. Wilson, who he wrote in the New Yorker, that uh, the manifesto was a carefully reasoned, artfully written paper. Uh, if it's the work of a madman, then the writings of many political philosophers are scarcely more sane. So Wilson is saying that he finds it perfectly sane and it makes sense. David Skirbina, a philosophy professor at the University of Michigan, Dearborn, and a former Green Party candidate for governor of Michigan, wrote several essays in support of Kaczynski's ideas, including one titled A Revolution of Our Times, which is kind of an interesting read, a little a little Tea Party-ish, but like there's definitely some thoughts there about like how Kaczynski was predicting the future. And this is basically, um, if you read this essay, essentially go back and listen to the last 15 minutes of our previous episode, and it's essentially the same thing. Okay, yeah. Um, we're kind of... You know, he said some interesting stuff and it's moving in that direction. 
Paul Kingsnorth, a deputy editor of The Ecologist magazine and co-founder of The Dark Mountain Project, which is a um, this weird kind of ecological rights organization that hosts this festival called Uncivilized. They're kind of this off-the-grid kind of place. They wrote an essay for Orion magazine in which he described Kaczynski's arguments as worryingly convincing and stated that they may change his life, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's what Ted Kaczynski's goal was. Right. Exactly. But you know, on a larger scale than it really had. Yeah. And for somebody who is a deputy editor of ecologist magazine and runs an ecological rights organization, you know, it's going to meet up with what your thoughts are. Sure. Yeah. Psychiatrist Keith Oblo stated on Fox News that Kaczynski was reprehensible for murdering and maiming people, but precisely correct in many of his ideas. And he compared industrial society and its future, the manifesto, to Aldous Huxley's Brave New World and George Orwell's 1984. I mean, maybe a little bit of hyperbole there with Brave New World and 1984. But I love both of those books. Say what? I love both of those books. They're great books, but I don't think his manifesto was on the same level as those. I think he had some ideas about the future, and that was kind of what it was. Yeah, I mean, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get in a little bit to who he blew up and why. You know. Okay. So um, between 1978 and 1995, Kaczynski mailed or hand-delivered a series of increasingly sophisticated bombs he was learning as he was going that cumulatively killed only three people only, you know, still three people, but injured 23 others. How many bombs were there in total? 16 total bombs. Okay. Were, uh, were altogether attributed to Kaczynski. They think there may have been a few more that didn't go off or were never found or, you know, other issues um, because of the way some of them were designed. Right. They may have just been duds. Well, duds or thrown in the trash or, or like, you know, if you have a cigar box that's designed to be blown up when the top of the cigar box is opened, but people throw it away without taking the wrappers off, then, you know. It never gets open. Exactly. Bomb in the trash. Right. While the bombing devices varied widely throughout the years, many had the initials FC hidden throughout them, uh, which Kaczynski later said stood for Freedom Club, uh, which was his... Uh, kind of like fake organization that he put together. And throughout the manifesto, he refers to the Freedom Club. So in his manifesto, he doesn't say, I do this, I do that. He says, we do this, we do that. And the we is attributed to the Freedom Club. Got it. That's That's what he says. He purposely left misleading clues on all these devices. And he took a crap ton of effort while preparing them to avoid leaving any fingerprints. And some of the fingerprints that were found on the devices were not even his. So they think that he was like implanting other people's fingerprints on these devices somehow. Oh, wow. Which is crazy. Yeah. So the initial bombings, Kaczynski's first mail bomb was directed at Buckley Christ, a professor of materials engineering at Northwestern University. On May 25th, 1978, a package bearing Christ's own return address was found in a parking lot in the University of Illinois at Chicago. The package was returned to Chris because they picked it up, saw his name on it, handed it to him. Sure. uh, Who was super suspicious. And he uh, called campus police as, I mean, I'd probably open it, but he called campus police. Like if somebody gave me a weird package, I'd be like, what's in here? With your own address on it? 
Yeah, I think I'd probably, I mean, it'd be weird, but I'd be, I don't think I'd call the cops on it. I think I would just kind of open it up. Yeah. I'm one of those idiots who probably get blown up. Uh, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, the poor bastard. Babe, did you mail this? Yeah, so you exactly. open it up and, and kill my whole family. Yeah. Right. The poor bastard who did open it up was Officer Terry Marker, who uh, who pried open the package, which exploded and, and uh, injured him pretty badly. Not like he didn't have to go to the ICU, but like, you know, he, he had to get some stitches. Kaczynski uh, returned to Illinois for the May 1978 bombing, and he stayed there for a time to work for his father and brother at a foam rubber factory for a little while. Uh, and then there was a pause, and uh, nearly a year later, after the first bomb, he sent another one to Northwestern. The bomb concealed inside of a cigar box and left on a table caused minor injuries to the grad, to the poor graduate student. You know, it was addressed to a professor. And so the professor was just like, hey, open this up. So the graduate student, John Harris, opened it up and, um, you know, injured a couple of its fingers. Yeah. And uh, so after, after two bombs kind of started popping up at universities, especially just one un- Northwestern, yeah. the FBI started sniffing around. Yeah. And so in 79, a bomb was placed in the cargo hold of American Airlines Flight 444, which was a uh, Boeing 727 flying from Chicago to Washington, D.C. Fortunately, a timing, uh, a faulty timing mechanism prevented the bomb from exploding, but it started just pouring smoke into the into the cargo hold uh which forced the plane to make an emergency landing authorities said that the bomb was large enough to quote unquote obliterate the plane if it had exploded holy crap yeah as uh as bombing an airliner is a federal crime as it probably should be yeah the uh, fbi decided to start sticking their nose around and uh they got involved designating the case they named the case Unabom, U-N-A-B-O-M, for University and Airline Bomber. Dun, dun, dun. Unabom. Kaczynski sent his next bomb to Percy Wood, the, uh, the, the then president of United Airlines. Airlines were his major target because of their advancement of industrial society. They were a big and easy target because... We think of airlines as these pretty secure lockdown places nowadays because sure. we got to take our shoes off and, you know, let them feel up our butts and stuff. But like right. overall, like in, in 1978 and 1979, you could literally walk your girlfriend or wife or whatever right onto the plane where they were sitting and then walk off while smoking a cigarette and probably carrying a handgun and nobody would say anything, you know. So it was, sounds lit. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, this way it should be, but it was yeah. kind of a different world, you know? So nowadays you can't even get like into the airport. Right. I mean, if you park weird, <laughs> the FBI is going to come get you from the airport. Your like, car is gone pretty quickly. Yeah. So like I was saying before, uh, Kaczynski left false clues all over these bombs, which he intentionally made kind of hard to find uh, to make them seem a little bit more legitimate. He'd pack little metal plates inside of end caps that had the had the words FC or the letters FC scrawled on them. Um, he would leave little tiny notes on ones that he knew weren't going to detonate, reading "Woo, it works. I told you it would," and then sign them RV. And then he would use specifically Eugene O'Neill one dollar stamps to send those, which was uh, kind of a rare stamp. So. For a guy with a manifesto, he really went to great lengths to make sure he never got caught. Yeah. 
you know, and he like disguised everything, tried to lay false trails, put in fake like uh, fingerprints, all this stuff. Very strange. So the he's FBI, trying to be smart. Yeah, I mean, very smart for not wanting to get caught, but at the same time, he's like developing this manifesto that he wants to get out in the world. You know? Yeah. So it's just kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, the FBI started looking at all of these crimes and they realized that there was this recurring uh, theme of nature, trees and woods. He often included bits of a tree branch and bark in his bombs, oddly. And, uh, you know, maybe they just fell in there from his uh, cabin retreat. Maybe. And uh, his selected targets included people like Percy Wood and Professor Leroy Wood. Crime writer Robert Graysmith, who I believe is the guy who wrote the um, the Zodiac killer book that was wildly popular and a great read if you haven't read it noted that his obsession with wood was a large factor in the bombings as the 70s turned into the 80s he continued he got a little more sophisticated he sent a package to the university of utah which was weirdly abandoned in a hallway by the people who were supposed to deliver it and then brought to the campus police who called in a bob squad to defuse it in May of 82, a bomb was sent to Patrick Fisher, a professor teaching at Vanderbilt University. Fisher was on a vacation in Puerto Rico at the time, and his secretary, Janet Smith, opened the bomb and received extensive injuries to her face and arms. Kaczynski's next two bombs targeted people at UC Berkeley. The first, in July of 82, caused serious injuries to engineering professor Diogenes Angelakos. Three years later, in May of 1985, John Hauser, a graduate student and captain in the United States Air Force, lost four fingers and vision in one eye from a Kaczynski bomb. He was uh, crafting a lot of these bombs out of wooden parts uh, to make some sort of point. Later, a bomb sent to Boeing Company in Auburn, Washington, was defused by a bomb squad. And in 1985, Professor James McConnell and research assistant Nicholas Suno were both severely injured after Suno opened the mail bomb addressed to McConnell. In late 1985, a nail and splinter loaded bomb placed in the parking lot of his store in Sacramento, California, killed 38-year-old computer store owner Hugh Scrutton. A similar attack against a computer store took place in Salt Lake City, Utah on February 20th, 1987. The bomb, disguised as a small piece of lumber, injured Gary Wright when he attempted to remove it from the store's parking lot. The explosion severed nerves in Wright's left arm and propelled over 200 pieces of shrapnel into his body. Kaczynski was spotted while planting the Salt Lake City bomb. This led to a widely distributed sketch of the suspect as a hooded man with mustache and aviator glasses. So that very, very kind of typical Unabomber image that everyone has burned into their brain. He yeah. was spotted planting this particular bomb where the guy got all the shrapnel into his body. And that was the one that started circulating everywhere. Nice. He kind of shied away from stuff with high security and started going after these guys. And then uh, in 93, after taking six years off of sending any bombs, Kaczynski mailed a bomb to the home of Charles Epstein from the University of California, San Francisco. Epstein lost several fingers opening up the package. In the same weekend, Kaczynski mailed a bomb to David Gellinter, a computer science professor at Yale. Gellinter lost sight in one eye, hearing in one ear, and a portion of his right hand. The next year, a mail bomb was sent to the home of Thomas J. Mosser, a executive at Burson Marsteller in North Caldwell, New Jersey. 
Once the bomb went off, there was a letter sent to the New York Times by Kaczynski who said that he sent the bomb because of Mosser's work trying to repair the public image of Exxon after the Exxon Valdez oil spill. This was followed by the 1995 murder of Gilbert Brent Murray, president of the Timber Industry Lobbying Group California Forestry Association, by a mail bomb addressed to previous president, William Dennison, who had retired at that point. Uh, Kaczynski sent that bomb to the last guy, blew up the new guy. Dang. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of out of all of his, I mean, that's kind of a rundown of all the bombs. And you can tell, like, he had this definite arc of where he started with these, like, kind of soft targets, professors at local universities, and then he moved into airlines. And once the airlines really started locking down, he moved back to uh, professors and then to just people, random people, yeah. computer store people. Yeah. Just whatever. dudes who worked at places, you know, like a PR yeah, imagine working guy. at like micro center, or some shit. And like, you know what I mean? It'd be like that, except even smaller. Right. And then some dudes just like you've ruined society. Here's a shrapnel bomb. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, I repair modems cause it's 1985. Yeah. You know? And like, I tell people to turn it off and back on again. Like, right. I don't know. <laughs> and now you have three less fingers. Right. So, I mean, what do you, I mean, what do you do with that? You know? So, so anyways, know. these bombings started happening and then he pushed for his manifesto to be released and they fought it for a long time, but eventually they put the manifesto out there and almost immediately on its, on its release, his brother was like, I know that guy. And right away, I mean, it was like instant where the FBI was on and they went and picked him up, you know? I mean, I think the question we're at right now is, you know, we went through all that stuff. We looked at his, his, his thoughts, what he thinks about industrialization society. And I think as what we do as a podcast with like the history of things and how we really dig into conspiracies and look at like where they originated from, I think a big question is did these original MK ultra experiments contribute to these crimes as a human being was he damaged by these things that he went through yeah i mean i mean probably obviously and like did that craft what he become became you know and if it wasn't him doing it would it have been somebody else that went through mk ultra you know yeah And I guess another question we can ask is, was there any benefit of, if we look at MKUltra as a CIA experiment, okay, and we look at Kaczynski as someone who was involved in it, is there a long-term profit to the CIA for having, you know, Kaczynski go through all this stuff? A long-term profit? Profit? Yeah. Does is there anything for the CIA to gain from weaponizing this young mind that went through these experiments and went on to become this like anti-industrial society bomber? Like, does know. can the government gain something from that? Like, does this lead to you know they talk about false flags where like you you have like a school shooting and then they turn around and try to take your guns away. And you know, like these, these crazy theories around that stuff. Sure. Is like nine 11 being a false flag yeah. to get us into. Afghanistan. Is there a theory around 
the Unabomber that could be made for that. And so, okay, so I guess the question there is, you know, is there a benefit to the government having extremized, radicalized him away from society to have done all this stuff, published these kind of works and put all this stuff out there that even though what he's saying is true and correct in a lot of ways, the method which he delivers it discredits this exact kind of argument right? from really taking hold in a kind of way where it's like, it's a good thought. They make it so that this kind of dissent against the machine is less possible now because these kinds of ideas, you know what I mean? It's like you, if you like, I feel like in the back of my head, I always have these like moments where I kind of sit back and I like look around my office and I'm like, there's a TV, there's a monitor, there's two laptops, an iPad, a desktop, <laughs> a PlayStation. That's just in your office? Jesus. Two tower speakers, a guitar amp, a speaker cabinet, six guitars. You yeah. know what I mean? And I'm just like, I mean, maybe not really the guitars, you know, like they're kind of awesome. Every guitar has a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, they're kind of awesome, but um, but like it's like I look around at all the technology, my phone, yeah, I have Bluetooth in my, I have multiple Bluetooth devices in my office. You yeah. know what I mean? And I just look back and I'm like, why do I have to own and be <laughs> surrounded by all of this shit? Yeah. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, and there's a little person. That's a solid that's question. Like, you know, every so often I go to my wife, I'm like, can we just sell everything? The entire thing? No, I mean, literally like somebody cut me a check for every single thing in and around my entire house and I will literally take that money and just walk away. Yeah, I get it. There's a freedom to like doing stuff like that and selling things. Go buy a forerunner and a little dump trailer that I can build a tiny house on and just like go. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have those thoughts. But there's a part of me that like thinks about that and then I like jog back and I'm like, nope, can't do that. You, you, you know what I mean? And, and like, I have a kid. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> it's, it's, I can't even get beyond the like finish the thought part, you know? Yeah. But then I'm like, no, no, no that'd be, that, that'd be crazy. Or, yeah. you know, or like, you know, if we think about his drive towards, you know, green or the environment and stuff like that. And there's a part of me that's like, yeah, like, I mean, absolutely. We should be doing everything green we should do. Like we need to be doing, uh, you know, remediation work everywhere, essentially yeah. at this time, coral redevelopment, you know, iceberg redevelopment, you know, whatever we have to do, start getting off of coal fire, start getting on, you know, I mean, nuclear is not great, but it's clean sure ish. Uh, you know what I mean? Start working towards clean energy, renewable energy, all yeah. this stuff. But then at the same time, I'm like, you know what I really want? <laughs> a 1969 charger. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. and I get it. Like, I, you know, I don't know. It's, man, it's, it's, it's a very difficult conundrum, you know? It is. Because, that's us and like you and I go deep on that stuff and like we talk about it a lot and like imagine the you know kind of quote unquote standard person who's just like a self-absorbed person well who's sitting on their couch like watching the bachelor with their phone in their hand scrolling tiktok or whatever and like 
you know, and they're thinking like, should I set my daily wellness health app so that I can only look at TikTok for two hours a day? Or should I set it for one hour, 45 minutes a day? You know, and it's like, and we're yeah. like, should we burn our house to the ground and run into the woods? And like, you know, so it's like, it's, there's definitely like some space between. As those long two as I ideas. can get the insurance money, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's you know, and you and I are like willing to question these ideas of like what Ted Kaczynski was actually talking about. And like, sure. a lot of times, people are going to be like, "F you, this guy blew people up." Don't even talk about his ideas. But like, there right. are ideas here that are worth discussing. Sure, you know. I think there there is some legitimacy there and it's worth having a conversation about. And I think that brings us to to like the MK Ultra stuff and like to bring yeah. that back and like what was there to benefit from it? You know, and I don't know that there was Yeah, I don't know either. Like I don't I don't you know. one, I don't think first of all, like I've worked with government contractors and I don't think they have long-term planning where they could be like this 16 year old that 16 year old is going to become years, the Unabomber. Right. They're not Magneto or like somebody who's like, yeah, one day they're not world. professor X. Or exactly. They can't yeah. see into the future. This isn't going to happen. So it's like, like I feel like, well, one, I feel like he was probably just a little cog in their machine and they were probably just like, why does this kid keep coming back? Like, yeah, we're beating the shit out of him and he just returns every day. Like, and the the guy was probably like, I just want to stop this experiment. And like Kaczynski kept coming back because he thought he had to because he would get kicked out of Harvard if he didn't, you know, that was probably just this horrible scenario that played out and sucked, you know, and yeah, this is over here like Dr. Chocula or whatever. He's just like, Interesting, right? Right. This person keeps coming back. To yeah, and he's like balance. the last guy left in the in the whole like experiment for like yeah. months. You know, he's <laughs> yeah. just like the last dude. He's, he's like, you're the only one. Yeah, it's oh, man, and yeah, it like government like, just doesn't have that amount of foresight. No, they definitely don't. Like, and it's not when it comes to individual people. Yeah, and there's, so there's this the documentary you were talking about before that. There was another one on the Discovery Channel. That was all about Kaczynski's involvement with MK Ultra. Yeah, and so when that came out, he wrote a letter to his good friend, that um, the Austin Chase guy from the Atlantic, and he he wrote good old this, AC, yeah, good old AC. He wrote uh, <laughs> from several people. I've received letters concerning that Discovery Channel series about me, and it's clear from their letters that the Discovery series is even worse than most of the other media stories about me. In fact, the greater part of it is pure fiction. Among other things, they apparently passed on to their viewers the tale through the agency of Harvard professor H.A. Murray, the human piece of garbage I described earlier, that Kaczynski says he was repeatedly tortured, in quotes, as part of the MKUltra mind control program conducted by the CIA. And Kaczynski goes on to say, the truth is that in the course of the Murray study, there was one and only one unpleasant experience. It lasted about half an hour and could not have been described as torture, even if the loosest sense of the word was applied. Mostly, the Murray study consisted of interviews and the filling out of pencil and paper personality tests. The CIA was not involved. Since people may find it difficult to believe that the media would broadcast such a conglomeration of outright lies, I'm sending you herewith a copy of an article by FBI agent Greg Stezkal in which Stezkal confirms that the greater part of the Discovery series is fiction. 
Stejkov's purpose is to defend the honor of the FBI, not to tell the truth about Ted Kaczynski. In fact, not all of his statements about me are strictly accurate. But the fact that Discovery lied about the FBI investigation should make it easier for people to believe that they lied about me as well. And so I looked up the Stejkov um, article and I, I couldn't find it anywhere. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Sure. I, just, I just couldn't find any reference to it in anything other than this quote. Right. Which, again, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It just means I couldn't find anything on the internet about it. Right. And, again, he says, like, the CIA was not involved in the study, but there's a paper trail proving that the CIA was involved in the study. I mean, that's yeah. that's a fact. There's 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 100% fact in that. He says MK Ultra, or at least a part that he was involved in, either wasn't that bad or didn't exist, and the entire documentary is BS now where it lies. But, I mean... Like I said, the documents that I've seen surrounding all of this info described horrific treatment of individuals and showed that these were actual facts. Did Kaczynski, who's just this painfully shy guy who was isolated his entire life, cover up all this treatment to seem that like he wasn't someone who was taken advantage of? Like, did he want to save face by saying that this wasn't as bad as it was? Or was he scared and just said that this didn't really happen? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that I think to me is the question about what happened at Harvard. Yeah. Is it so, is it true that it wasn't that bad or was the hundreds of hours of abuse, right? Which is what this was. Yeah. So traumatic of an experience to him that he has to do everything that he can to not think about it or, deny that it happened to himself yeah. or, you know, the stuff that people do when they go through traumatic experiences. Yeah. yeah. And does he suffer from PTSD from it? Is it so painful and hard to think about and, you know, realize that that stuff happened to you and be able to accept that this stuff happened to you? Yeah. Um, that he just can't really look, you know, look at it. Yeah. Or think about it or want to relive it or have memories of it or whatever. Yeah. You know, and that to me, which is very possible, like the more likely very, it seems very likely to me, you know, it's, I mean, PTSD is a very, very serious thing, you know? Oh yeah. People who, I mean, we've even said on here, people have PTSD from fistfights. Oh yeah. Yeah. People have PTSD from severe pain experiences. Yeah. You know, you can get PTSD from all kinds of stuff, car crashes, uh, you, know, you can get it from your parents fighting when you're a little kid, you know, like yeah. these things. And, you know, there's there's stories of little little kids who whose parents have very heavily involved in physical fights when they're when they're younger and they will lose memories from when they were younger. You know, so like these kids who if they grew up in a home where both their parents are physically involved in fighting uh, their entire childhood you know, when they're yeah. teenagers and they're asked about what their earliest memory experiences are, they'll say it's, you know, they're 12, they're yeah. 10, you know, yeah. and, and they don't have memories of being five years old, six years old, you know. Yeah. That's a very, very common thing, you know. Yeah. And so it, it really doesn't extend much past like a college experience. If you are going once a week to be brutalized by some random lawyer and being fed LSD, like it's it's very possible that he just... Which we don't know if he was fed LSD, but he could have been. It's within the realm. I mean, it was of possibilities for sure. The MK Ultra study was like LSD was a huge part of it. It was like constantly described in all these all the paperwork they have. And like 
And if that was the case, I mean, with or without LSD, like you could have blocked a lot of this stuff. Like, sure. No question about it. So I don't know. It's my, my kind of consensus, my thought on the process. I, I think he went through these really kind of horrific things that happened. Um, and he just put it out of his mind. Like, yeah, he, he no, I totally it. agree with that. You know, it's like a person being in a, in a sexually abusive relationship or something where they just, yeah, you know, it happened. I'm over it. I don't want to talk about it. And that's that. Yep. And they don't think about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's where he went with that. Possibly. And I don't, it doesn't excuse him blowing people up and blowing people's fingers off and stuff. No, not at all. Killing people. No. Maiming and people and stuff, you know. I think he was a very smart guy who had some really, really good ideas. And his idea to get his ideas out into the world was a bad one. Yes. You know, he I thought, adamantly agree with that. Yeah. He thought if he blows some people up, people listen to him. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, this is one of those guys too, and this is there'll be a hard question to ask. I'm sure people scoff out there in internet land, but imagine a world where young Ted Kaczynski didn't skip fifth grade, right? Where he didn't graduate high school yeah. at 15, there he didn't get go to Harvard at 16, right? He could have gone through high school normally taking college classes on the side like they let you do now in high yeah. school. You can spend half your day at school and half your day at the community college or whatever. Yeah. And then he gets to pick the school he gets to go to has a totally normal, you know, I mean, it could, I mean, shit, it could have been like a beautiful mind except right. without the schizophrenia. Right. You know what I mean? Like this dude could have solved the energy crisis or some shit. Yeah. Like who knows what yeah. this dude could have done with his brain or the, uh, the Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Robin Williams one. Oh yeah. Um, goodwill hunting. Goodwill hunting. It could just been, goodwill. I love that. Movie. He could have been hunting movie. goodwill. He That's right. Been out there doing that. Yeah. He could have been Matt Damon. Yeah. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> could have been getting those Apple numbers or whatever yeah. was going on in that movie. Yeah. yeah. But no, he was getting I mean, Minnie Driver's phone number. Yeah. Which who wouldn't have gotten Minnie Driver's phone number at the time she's hot? Sure. That was like pre, pre Titanic, I think, or something. But like, she wasn't in that. She wasn't in Titanic? Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh, whatever. But like, <laughs> but I mean, you make a very solid point. It's like, you yeah. know, this guy, he had these like horrible hives when he was a kid, so much so that he had to be like isolated in special treatment yeah. rooms in a hospital. And the and, like, hospital people were bad to him. Doctors stuff, held like, him down and messed with him. And it's like, yeah, that was like his like early childhood. And then, yeah. And then he skipped a year, got horribly like bullied. You know, I was mildly bullied and it was awful. Yeah. You the know? same. And I mean, and then, the high school and then all of a sudden he's in this like weird Harvard safe house for baby nerds and it's just like thing after thing after thing built up and of course like he's going to have some idea and take it to the stupid spot you right know? It, it, it's, it's almost inevitable at this point like it's he basically aged out and yeared out of being a school shooter you know yeah like if he was born in 89 yeah, he would have been shooting up a high school this at, at that age, like you know, yeah. and he would have done it with a with a manifesto posted to freaking eight chan, the same way they're doing now, you know, the same way these guys are doing now, and it's yeah, it would have been the same sort of thing, and like, not that I'm saying these are exact same sort of things, but I think that's probably where his brain. There's some would parallels work. that we could probably you know? draw 
here, you know? Yeah. And not make massive leaps in them or whatever. And not saying that, you know, the people who are posting on 8chan and shooting up schools are, you know, out here with 167 IQs or anything like that. Um, and, And, you know, that does make me think that the one thing that a lot of these school shooters and stuff do have is, uh, one, uh, they're bullied extensively. Yeah. Which, um, Ted Kaczynski was. And the other thing is they mo they typically, I think all have either diagnosed and severe or undiagnosed mental health issues. Right. And the other thing that I think about this is what kind of, mental health issues yeah did he have I you mean, know what i mean like there were there had to be some you know? right there had to have been some level of extensive yeah. mental health problems yeah. going on here that he was somehow able to essentially hide completely well probably cuz he was very smart you, you know? know yeah it's to it's tough it it is tough. It's a it's a it's a bizarre story from start to finish, and it's and it kind, spans decades too. That's the thing yeah. that's crazy about it. It's kind of the story of like a little kid that got beat up a lot his entire life and turned out to be shitty, and that happens to a lot of people. A it's shitty really super genius. Yeah, it's, it's, he's a super villain. Yeah, he literally is. I mean, he's he's and he's locked up with other super villains. Like there's yeah. other people. He has conversations with like you know, guys that are locked up with him that have done all these kind of things. Like the guy who blew up the, I think he's in solitary. Oh, I think he's in the supermax place out in Kansas or wherever it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure he's probably in solitary. I think if I recall correctly, Eric Rudolph is across the hall. Probably. I wouldn't be solitary. Yeah. I would not be surprised. Of the 20 floor underground supermax. Yeah. I, I remember when I was reading bits of his manifesto. I was reading some news article that talked about how he was in the same wing and it named a bunch of people that were there. And it was like the guy from the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. Yeah. You know, Timothy McVeigh, like all these other like guys who blew up major things. It's like the super friends of bad guys. Yeah. It's like the anti-Justice League. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean... There's no good ending to this. It no, all sucks. Not it's really. stupid. He blew shit up and it sucks. And he probably should have got hugged more. Probably. Yeah. I mean, that's all I got. He probably should have tried this chocolate stout, the German chocolate stout. Beer. He would have been way better off if he could have had some cherry key lime burst session sour by the pool. Yeah. Well, update on the uh, German chocolate stout. So I finished it and I have uh, what feels like tiny sweaters over every one of my teeth. i'm not not sure where that came from but awesome little tiny sweaters over every one of my teeth yeah nice yeah but it's good it was worth it sick i'm gonna go get my teeth dry cleaned (laughs) as you should yeah all right guys well thank you for tuning in for part two of our ted kaczynski unabomber two-part series Um, yep bama dose uh we will see you guys again next week Thank you for joining us for this episode of Brew Luminati. Our intro and outro music is written by Dungeness. Want to learn more about the topics we cover and who we are? Join us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Luminati Podcast for behind the scenes content and updates. Do you have mystical powers of insight or just questions, suggestions, and feedback? Reach out to us at thebrewluminati at gmail.com. Are you ready to immerse yourself into the inner circle? Visit patreon.com slash Podcast. For the same price as a cup of coffee or sandwich you won't remember, you know, because of mind control, 
You can join the Brewluminati and lift the veil on the true mysteries of the universe. Your membership to the Conclave unlocks access to our secret Discord server, bonus Patreon-only content, behind-the-scenes talks, and much more. Every dollar spent not only helps us reveal the truths of the world, but also frees us to make the show better, weirder, and allows us to go deeper and deeper into the void while funding our next beer run. When we're not talking conspiracies and beer, we're passionate about saving the forgotten puppies and kitties of the world. 10% of every dollar you donate goes directly to the Best Friend Pet Adoption Agency. They are a local 501c3 all-breed, all-foster cat and dog rescue that will save the life of a pet who never had a chance. Keep an eye out because we'll be posting pictures of the lives our listeners save. For more information on Best Friend Pet Adoption, head over to bfpa.org. Join us again next week for another episode of Brew Luminati. We know you will, because again, mind control is real. Thank you.